Hello and welcome to She Source, Her Voice, Her Rights. We are Care Canada's Youth Champions, a group of young people across Canada who are passionate advocates for sexual and reproductive health rights. We're excited to discuss and raise awareness about young women's rights and choices in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. Together, we will explore how these global issues connect to our lives as Canadian youth and discover ways in which we can all take action. We will also talk about the SheSource project, which improves access to health and education, which are areas we want to see change in. Join Join us. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the She Soars podcast. You're joining us for part two of the She Speaks Out SRHR Stories Around the World series. We've been collecting stories from youth in regards to their sexual and reproductive health rights, also known as SRHR, and we're really excited to continue sharing them with you today. We've received stories from North America to East Africa. The majority of people we heard from were between 18 and 40 years old and all identified as female. So in the first part, we talked about period stories and the stigma and what it might mean to alleviate some of that stigma. So yeah, we're excited to move forward today and I'll pass it over to Amal to introduce the themes we're going to be covering. Thanks, Lauren. Many of us will have experiences that can be scary, confusing, or embarrassing, which is why we came up with this idea. It helps us to realize that we are not alone going through things like having bodily concerns or having questions about your health and rights. I also want to let listeners know that we're joined with Amanda again, who's from the Youth Advisory Board. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thank you for having me, Amal and Lauren. My name is Amanda Banura, as mentioned, from the Youth Advisory Board in Uganda. It's always exciting. Awesome. Great to have you. So in this second part of the episode, we're going to be focusing on two remaining themes that we identified through reviewing the stories. So the theme that we're going to be talking about today is related to sexual reproductive knowledge, attitudes, behaviors, and taking a look at self-advocacy in the medical system. And then the last theme that we're going to be discussing today will focus on stigma regarding sex before marriage and learning about sexual reproductive health in adolescence. I'm looking forward to this discussion and I'll pass it over to Amanda who will share the first story that we have today. Alison, thank you, Amal. I'm so excited to share with you the first story from Canada. And this is the story. When I was 21 years old, I was working as a camp counselor. One day, we took the kids on a field trip, and the moment I stepped off the school bus, I felt something inside of me flip. I wasn't familiar with this feeling, so I assumed it was a cramp or a stomach bug. As we trekked down the beach, the painful feeling in my abdomen got worse. I could hardly keep up with the kids, so I took a break. The lifeguards came over to assess whether I could have appendicitis, but I downplayed how bad I felt. At one point, they offered to call an ambulance as I was hunched over in more pain, at which point I volunteered to have my mom pick me up instead. I didn't want to risk looking stupid and dramatic if it turned out nothing was wrong. While waiting for my mom, I threw up and regretted not taking it more seriously. Once I reached the nearby hospital, the doctor asked me to rate my pain, to which I replied, a seven thinking that getting in a car accident would hurt more than this. I distinctly remember my mom being upset that I didn't rate it higher. She had never seen me so in pain before. I also remember feeling worried and suggesting to the doctor, could it be something with my reproductive organs 
but he didn't seem too concerned and sent me home with some over-the-counter painkillers. That night, I woke up in so much pain that my mom rushed me to another hospital where they did some tests, including an ultrasound. They quickly discovered I had a twisted fallopian tube that was blocking my blood flow and required immediate surgery. Sometimes they can fix it or remove parts, but in my case, they had to remove the whole fallopian tube and ovary because it was so damaged. This may not have been the case if only the problem had been recognized and addressed sooner. The doctors told me that my reproductive health would be okay in the long term, but I definitely felt how a girl like me could be dismissed in the healthcare system as the first doctor I had didn't seem to think my pain was real. He also didn't do further tests referring me or giving me a follow-up. Through this experience, I learned the importance of advocating for yourself. From the moment I stepped off the bus to the hospital, I needed to be my biggest advocate because if I didn't take it seriously, no one else would. It also speaks to the need for healthcare providers to take young people seriously when they report pain and ask pointed questions. Not just assume they don't know about their bodies or are being dramatic. If I would have spoken up for myself and taken action sooner and had doctors who took me seriously, I would have had a better experience and results. Wow. There we have a long and intense story. Over to you, Lauren. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Amanda. That story, when I read that yesterday, really stuck with me. I have some friends that have gone through kind of similar experiences with getting diagnoses for endometriosis or things like that, where they've just been dismissed or, oh, it's just normal period pain and whatever, and very dismissive. So it's important to be your own advocate in the healthcare system, but it also is a shame that it has to be that way right now. So looking forward to diving into a discussion about that. I will share the next story, which is also from Canada. When I went in for my first pap test at 21, I was surprised to get a call from my doctor telling me that my results were abnormal and that I needed to come back in to see her again. Knowing that pap tests were screening tests for cervical cancer, I felt panicked. Did this mean I had cancer? When I returned to see my doctor, she informed me that the results might mean I had an HPV infection. Having always practiced safe sex, I was shocked and confused. How did this happen, and did I now need to worry about passing it on to others? My doctor explained that HPV infections are very common. It's often symptomless in men, and only the vaccine can protect you from getting infected, so I hadn't done anything wrong. There are many strains in HPV, and the vaccine I got when I was young didn't protect me against as many strains as the newest one, which she recommended I get as a booster. While I did have to get a biopsy, which is a tissue sample done, to make sure I didn't show any signs of cancer progression, My care providers explained that cervical cancer develops slowly. The abnormal test results I'd gotten really just meant that I'd have to have more frequent testing to make sure it didn't go any further. Four years later, and my last few pap test results have been totally normal. Nothing to worry about. I wish I'd had a better understanding of pap tests, sexually transmitted infections, and cervical cancer risks, so I didn't have to feel that sense of panic when I first heard that result. Thank you for sharing that story. I'll pass it on to Amal. Thanks, Lauren. That's a great story. I remember reading it and thinking it's very common for girls to go through that. Even myself, when going to the doctor and hearing something new, it's like, why have I never learned this previously? So I resonated with that story. I'll pass it over to Amanda. 
we'll start us off with the discussion questions that we were thinking about. Thank you so much, Amal and Lauren. I love the theme of advocacy, standing up for each other. And that leads us to my first question, which is why is it women and girls are often dismissed in the medical system? And what are some strategies to address this? Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind is women were kept out of the medical field for so long. It's only really in recent decades that women have been able to become respected doctors in the medical field. So I think those hundreds of years of historical research and testing and everything completely excluded a lot of women's issues. And I think while a lot of progress is being made, there's definitely a lot of work to be done playing catch up and reprioritizing potentially a lot of the research projects and focusing more on women's issues and taking them seriously. Yeah, thanks, Laura. And I think that definitely plays a huge role in the experiences that women and girls go through in the medical system. And it brings me back to the thinking of having treatment and care that's patient-centered. So not only just the questions that doctors will ask you once you're in the patient room, but building that relationship with patients as well to include questions about their overall well-being, to make people more comfortable and feel heard once they're engaging with family doctors or in hospitals. That's the thing I think about when I think of some strategies to address this as well. I do agree with you, Mel and Lauren. Just to add into that, I have a feeling that the general assumption of people when it comes to women in the medical system dismissing us, I think it's because they believe we have so many problems. We're the ones who get taken easily by the pains. We have menstrual cramps, we have headache, we have mood swings, hormonal imbalance here and there. But I feel like that's not the reason we should be dismissed. Because we are the best teachers of our own realities. We can best explain or understand what we go through. So I think we need to be in the medical system. If there is a woman with fibroids in the hospital and there's a nurse who has lived through that experience, I think they're the best teachers to know and understand how to treat them or manage such situations. Over to you, Lauren. I'm going to take it into a more personal level. If anyone has experiences that they want to share about their own experience advocating for themselves or being dismissed in the healthcare system or anything related to your SRHR journey in the healthcare system that you feel like sharing, feel free. Oh, yeah. I'd like to go first on this one. I have loads of experiences to share in the medical system. One time I was taking my young sister to the Heart Institute and they looked at both of us as being tiny dolls. And they're like, why are you here? You should be with an adult. And I was the elder sister trying to be an adult in this situation. They kept on saying, no, you can't be here. Go back and bring an adult. I felt so offended by that. And then the other incident happened to me just recent. I had a teen mother who was due to give birth and she was in so much pain. And I kept on calling this midwife, Madam, hey, nurse, can you come help this girl? Because the contractions were getting intense. Every contraction she was pushing. And I think that was becoming dangerous. And the nurse just kept on telling me, just tell her to keep walking. The baby should go down. So I tell this girl, you know what? Lie on the bed and do what you feel you should do. And before we knew it, the head was popping out. So the nurse came running and things happened so fast. And I'm like, okay, so why didn't you really pay attention when I was telling you this? Anyway, that's a few experiences I could share. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing your experiences. It's always great to hear the personal experiences when we're talking amongst each other, just to get better understanding of how we experience these themes that we're discussing. I think on my side, I've experienced more so dismissal going to healthcare facilities and clinics. 
Like I remember one time when I had missed three months of my period and that kind of makes you worried, right? So you want to go to the doctor and get an understanding of what they think might be going on. When I went and I explained the situation that, you know, it's not pregnancy, it just was gone for three months. They're kind of like, oh, just wait it out. It'll just come back soon. So there was never any follow-up or advice or referrals or anything like that. So I think I can definitely resonate with the first story that Amanda shared where the respondent experienced the same kind of dismissals within the healthcare system. Thanks both for sharing your stories. I definitely can resonate with that feeling of maybe they didn't hear me just because I'm a young girl, but yeah, it, it is frustrating to feel like you're going to the authority on the matter and then they basically don't even give you the time of day. I'll pass it over to Amal for our last discussion question. Thanks, Lauren. So one of the things that I was thinking about when the second story was shared that inspired this question of do you have experience learning knowledge such as STI, cervical cancer testing in school? And if you remember if this was included in curriculum. For me, I would say most of my sexual and reproductive health education actually was quite like a fear mongering, like you will get an STI and this is what it's going to look like and it can lead to cervical cancer. So that was a lot of what the education was. However, it wasn't very proactive and destigmatizing. It wasn't saying things like, oh, getting an STI can sometimes be normal. And this is what testing looks like. And these are your steps if you think that you have one. It wasn't really like that. It was more just you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z, or it will result in something abnormal and shameful. So yeah, I think it's potentially important for SRHR curriculum to include information about STIs, cervical cancer, testing, all of this, but doing it in a much more empowering and informing way instead of intentionally trying to scare youth, honestly. I also agree with you, Lauren. My experience learning about SRH knowledge dates back to my primary school. There was this organization that came to train peer educators and they took us out for a camp. Now, we thought it was all about having fun. And then later in the morning, they bring this video and they say, we have a movie we want to show you. It was connecting to how HIV spread and AIDS and all that. And then later, they showed us like hardcore pictures of STDs. And this was less like you said, Lauren, to scare us all. But to me, it was like a mind opener because I realized, okay, this is when my real advocacy life and journey started. Young people can't go through happies and all that. It gave me the courage to really speak about SRH. And I think all that needs to be included in the curricula. It's not in the SRHR curriculum. Because take an example of where I come from, that SRHR curriculum is separated by age. So by the age I got to know, it's not the same things they're going to get at that age today. Thank you both for talking about your experience navigating curriculum. I know for me, I feel like I didn't learn about any of this stuff until I took classes like biology in high school, where they talked about it in the biological sense of STI, cervical cancer, etc. But I don't really remember it in specific SRH curriculum. Okay, so thank you both for engaging in the discussion. We're going to move on to theme three on stigma regarding sex before marriage and learning about sex reproductive health. So we have Amanda who will introduce the first story. Thank you, Amal. Well, our story from Kenya. Here it is. When I was in my lower classes in school, I was taught that sex before marriage was bad and the conversation would end there because talking about sex was a taboo. 
I wish that I went through sexual education because I would have used the knowledge I know now back then to prevent me from sexual experiences and activities I have encountered. That's our respondent from Kenya. Over to you, Lorena. Thank you very much. I will also be sharing a story from Kenya. So her story was that she got pregnant when she was in her second year of college. It was a very traumatizing experience being pregnant in school. As you will be stigmatized, this led me to be suspended from school. At home, my relative refused to continue paying my school fee and chased me away, which led me to stay with my grandparents until my due date. Currently, my child is 10 months old and it's a really hard job raising her. This has led me to do different part-time jobs in order to provide for my daughter and grandparents for their daily needs, and at least to save some money so that I can go back to school to finish my education and be a doctor. And for the second question, can you remember a time when you felt embarrassed, misunderstood, or doubted yourself in relation to SRHR? This respondent said, After delivering my baby, I wanted to go back to school, but I was rejected that I can't study at the same time as I can take care of my child. They doubted my capabilities to study and denied me the chance to prove that I can do it. Wow. And then the respondent said, When I wanted to do family planning, my family didn't approve of it, but I was already sensitized on my sexual reproductive rights and its advantages. I had experienced the consequences of unplanned pregnancy, so I did get a contraceptive implant, and I know I'm safe now. So thanks so much for sharing your story all the way from Kenya. I'll pass it over to Amal. Thanks, Lauren. So this next story is from Uganda, where they spoke about their experience of sex before marriage as a taboo topic, especially within family dynamics. So this respondent said, what does she do with these feelings that she has for this boy? It's embarrassing. How is she supposed to behave? Her mother tells her that even looking at boys, she will fall pregnant. Her mother threatens to send her away from home if she ever did. She says that she's not supposed to like boys. She is 16 years old. She's always afraid of her mother's eye. She feels that she knows what's in her heart, so she keeps her feelings away. So that's our story from Uganda. Wow. I'll make brief comments on stories that you and Lauren just gave. First of all, yeah, that was a serious taboo. And we still have these taboos going on in the context of like where we come from. I can feel for her. But 16, you can make your own choices. But I love this burning question. Amal and Lauren, how can we take some steps to destigmatize family planning, especially among youth? And how can we support our fellow youth? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it all really starts with education. This is what I've been saying, but I'll say it again because I think it's important. I think including this in the SRHR curriculum in schools is really important and maybe even getting a couple of speakers in that have had the lived experience of having an unplanned pregnancy and can talk through how having contraceptive has changed their life or what they wish they knew and different kind of interactive components like that to make family planning a bit more accessible and less stigmatizing by actually talking to people that have benefited from it. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for sharing that. I think that's a really important part. And it just makes me think to add on to that. One of the key things, especially among youth, when you're talking about family planning, is taking on the role of including families and communities as well, because they always play a big role in how youth engage with health services. So having that education, not only for the youth and hearing from peers as well, as you said, who have gone through this experience and benefited from family planning, but having also family members and communities having those sessions as well. 
just to change the thinking and also the norm that is within the community. So I think that's a key thing to consider as well. Yeah, I so agree with both of you. The more you know about something, the better for you to make the right choice and the right decision. I flashed back to a symposium we had just of recent on ending teenage pregnancies and child marriages in Uganda. And one of the colleagues gave as her last remark, prevent. As she said that, a colleague said, we don't want to talk about contraceptives for our young people. And I'm like, how are we going to prevent teenage pregnancies if you're not talking about contraceptives? Like shooting ourselves in the foot the same way. How are we taking steps to destigmatize family planning if we're not talking about it? And how can we support our youth wanting to explore? Because the more we tell them no, the more they come close. It's like you're pushing them to explore and be excited about this. Just openly bring the family planning methods, give them options, give the side effects and how to manage them and let life move on. Because either way, you refuse to give them the education, they'll get it from the internet. It's a global village. Anyway, thank you so much, Lauren and Amal. Thank you both. So that brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I definitely recommend that you go back and do that because we also shared a lot of really empowering stories from that episode. And I wanted to give a big thank you to Amanda for joining us and sharing on this podcast. You are a really great guest to have on and we hope to have you back in the future. I look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. And then quick shout out to our next episode. The Youth Champions will be discussing common myths and misconceptions in the SRHR space. So we look forward to having you join us. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Amanda, again for joining us. It's always great to have you. Thank you, Marlon Lauren. Always a pleasure to join you. Thanks for listening to She Soars. If you liked this episode, please share it on social media, connect with us in the comments, or give us a like. Make sure to catch our next episode by subscribing to our channel and following us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow at Care Canada on Instagram for updates on our show and the project. She Soars stands for Sexual and Reproductive Health and Economic Empowerment, supporting out-of-school adolescent girls' rights and skills in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. The project is funded by Global Affairs Canada. Check out our global partner organization. Youth Coalition for Sex and Reproductive Rights, the Center for Reproductive Rights, and Restless Development for even more project updates. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>